0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's the head of D. James Kennedy Ministries who also led National Religious Broadcasters, Frank Wright who provides insight into cultural issues that are confronting our nation, relative to a survey the ministry has taken that shows what respondents would like to hear addressed in church. Then it's John Ravel of Lifeline Chaplaincy, who has been called a first responder to first responders. He is a chaplain for police departments in Stamford and Westport, Connecticut, as well as for the Connecticut State Police, and reflects on the needs for spiritual support for those who are on the front lines. He comments on an initiative in which he's been involved designed to build community. Also, Jordan Abina is a worship leader in California who came to a point in his ministry in which he experienced dissatisfaction in the results. The Lord taught him who was ultimately responsible. You'll be hearing about his experience coming up. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll meet David Eaton. He leads a ministry called AXIS, which helps to equip parents to know about and respond to issues that are confronting teenagers. Then, Shannon Popkin has observed and experienced the danger that comes from comparison to others and provides insight into finding sufficiency in Christ and focusing on Him. Finally, Jamie Amarine is helping ladies discover that sufficiency in Christ as well and relates some keys to discovering the freedom that the Lord has provided. Well, that is coming up on this edition of The Intersection. It's a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Frank Wright is president and CEO of D. James Kennedy Ministries and treasurer of National Religious Broadcasters. In a recent conversation, he shared with me about the results of a survey of friends and supporters of the ministry who related what cultural topics they would like to hear pastors address. In the course of the conversation, he provided an overview about the challenges that the church is facing today. From that recent conversation, this is Frank Wright now
1: we proposed a whole range of issues for people to consider and gave them an opportunity to you know write in and respond in other ways what we saw was eight in ten of those responded so eighty percent felt that the fundamental issues of concern for them today were abortion religious liberty poverty sexual identity israel america's christian heritage the role of government church and politics and government, and radical Islam. Eighty percent of those who responded to our survey identified as those as issues that they felt they needed to hear from their pastors on. And by the way, this lines up very well with a very wide-ranging survey done by George Barna and David Barton just a few years ago. Uh, The same numbers, about 80 percent of people responded that those were the most important issues that they wanted to see addressed. Bob, we do need to take a second though too and give thanks to God for the pastors that we have. They do a hard work and they serve the body of Christ and they do it to the best of their ability. I don't want anybody to go up to church this Sunday, and if you can in your area, and take <laughs> sure. your mask off and, <laughs> and shake your finger in the face of your pastor sure. and say, you need to be preaching on these issues. That's not the way to approach a man who is doing their best and has uh, very little time in their day to launch any new initiative. It's all they can do to keep up with all the things that they need to do and the things that are expected of them. But what you can say is go to your pastor and say, Pastor, I believe Jesus has called me to be a part of this church. You are my shepherd I need you to be teaching me on these issues. These are issues that have, uh, there's a biblical understanding for them, but I don't fully understand the depth and the breadth of what the Bible says about these things. You really need, I need, if I'm not going to be learning about these issues from you, then I'm going to learn about them from a secular culture that has no concern whatsoever for what the Bible teaches about these things. So, Pastor, I am asking you to help me develop a biblical understanding on these important questions. And you can tell your pastor which are the issues that are most important to to us today. It's interesting, and not to be uh, ignored, that when Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, said that among these uh, rights that have been endowed by God are life, the first the first fundamental freedom endowed by God is life, that you don't have to wake up Einstein, as one of my college professors used to say, to understand that without the preservation of life, the rest of our freedoms are pretty much moot if we have no mm. preservation of freedom. And so as believers, we preserve, seek to preserve innocent, unborn life, but not only that, we seek to defend life at every stage of of development, and we do that because the Bible teaches that we are made in the image of God. The reason we believe in capital punishment, in which liberals look at and say, you know, you guys are pro-life, but then you're in favor of capital punishment. We believe in capital punishment because it's destruction of a life made in the image of God, and those who have been sentenced to death for their crimes, have destroyed someone made in the image of God. We do not take lightly this idea that we're created in God's image, and it's God himself who ordains capital punishment. But this question of life is the fundamental, I believe it's the fundamental calling for us to engage, and it's going to be the fundamental reason why when God's judgment does come on America, it'll be on our uh, ignoring of his teaching about the sanctity of human life. Sixty million innocent unborn babies destroyed in the name of sexual convenience.
0: Frank Wright here on The Intersection. You can find out more about D. James Kennedy Ministries by going to djkm.org. Next up, it's the chaplain for the Stamford and Westport, Connecticut Police Departments and the Connecticut State Police. John Ravel, the founder of Lifeline Chaplaincy, provided some insight into the dynamics of the relationships between law enforcement and community members and highlighted the Building Community Initiative. He's the author of the Yet I Will Rejoice series. Book one is called, God Alone, The Testimony of Rahab. From a recent conversation, this is John Ravel. now. In 2015, we were
2: just in the process of going ahead and and launching Lifeline Chaplaincy on a full-time basis. And uh, the senior vice president of a local Fortune 500 company heard me speaking at a, a 9-11 event for men. Uh, it was a Christian men's gathering. And afterwards, he said, I have an idea. Our company's philanthropic focus is on doing repair work in low-income areas. Well, what if we get police officers involved? And that was in the context of the struggles uh, related to Eric Garner on Staten Island and uh Michael Brown and Ferguson and their tragic deaths. And so he said, maybe this could help reduce some of the tension. So we did a pilot program at Stanford in November of 2015, and it went very well. And then that company acquired another Fortune 500 company, and they said, let's start looking a little larger. We had another event in Stanford, September of 16, and they came to me and said, what if we did this on a a nationwide scale? Would you be our liaison with police officers uh, to do this in other cities? And I said, absolutely, let's do it. And right after that conversation, the tragic uh, shooting and riots in Charlotte, North Carolina took place. And so in April of 17, we had our first large-scale out uh, interstate event. And the strategy was to bring the police officers and community members together for a Friday night meal. And it has grown into at a local church so that the police officers can uh, sit down across the table from people in the community. And then the next day, the police officers join with volunteers to do repair work in uh, home a home or maybe several homes in that community. And what we found was that when two people voluntarily break bread together and then sweat together, it tears down barriers and builds bridges. And we also found out that people in those scenarios come to the table with stereotypes on both sides. Uh, I have told people all across the country, when police officers show up to a scene, it's rarely because they've been invited to the birthday party. When they show up, they have to be ready for any kind of situation. And so When the community members see them showing up like that, they may have stern faces, have their game face on, and it's easy for the community members to draw that unfounded conclusion that cops are like this all the time. And by the same token, if a police officer is going to a specific area in a community on a repeated basis for problems, the officers can draw the unfounded conclusion that all of the people in that community are like that. And that's just not the case. And so when They sit down across the table from each other. They start to recognize each other as people, real people with warm blood coursing through their veins, that they are all sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. And that time together is just fun and fellowship. goes so far in breaking down barriers and strengthening relationships and then working together the next day. By the end of it, the, the results that I've seen consistently are just amazing. And it does accomplish the biblical priority of what Jesus said in the Beatitudes of, blessed are the peacemakers. This is going a long ways in making peace between enemies or those who have a hostile perspective towards each other. And then later on in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, uh, let your light so shine among men that they would see your good works and glorify God. This is doing good for people in need. And so this application of being a peacemaker and doing good has brought healing all cities all across the country. That year it was Charlotte, Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we did uh, a suburb in out, right outside of St. Louis, and then that opened the door for us to do Ferguson. We did Tampa. We did Fort Lauderdale. And then it's just grown from there to Indianapolis and uh Cleveland, Ohio, and some of the cities here in in Connecticut. And in three years, we've done 28 of those events. So God has used that to bring healing, and Ferguson was one of those cities, and it was just a thrill to be there.
0: John Ravel here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to llchaplaincy.org. Next, it's worship leader Jordan Abina. He's the author of a book called thoughts of a dying worship leader. In his conversation with me, he shared about his journey in leading worship and how he learned to allow God to be responsible for the results. Here now is Jordan Abina.
3: Yeah, you know, I've been, well, I'm a California-born person, so I've never left except for on vacation, but uh, I've been in ministry now for, oh man, close to 12, 15 years, and, or 12 years probably, and um, worship leader uh, you know, if you're in ministry, I, I get to be a part of all kinds of great things and what God's doing in his local church. And But mostly I've been a part of music and uh, that ministry, and it's been a real blessing, and I continue to do it now. And my wife and I are actually have our eyes set on uh, potentially going and serving in France for the next few years, but that's kind of uh, where our family's at, um, and God's been good. to us.
0: So tell me about the title of the book and the concept of it.
3: Yeah, well, I picked the title one because I knew that it would raise some eyebrows, which it has. <laughs> sure. And uh, but two, it, it actually came from a real, um, real special place and time with myself, with the Lord. And uh, you know, I've been I've been part of worship, Bob, for since I was sixteen years old. You know, I I went to youth group and I loved it. And then I, I believe I was, and I wrote about this. I was I was driving back from a snow camp uh, with our youth group and I was singing in the front seat with my youth pastor driving. And I, we were singing something. I think it was rain down by delirious, you know? And, uh, he was like, you know what, you're going to sing in the worship team. And I was like, you know what, you're crazy. I'm not doing any of that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, cause I had never, you know, I, I'd never done anything like that before. I loved music, but you know, I had just recently given my life to Christ and, but from there, just sent me on a journey. And so it's been a real blessing. And, uh, right about a few years ago that I had been leading worship, you know, I'm 34 years old now. And so, you know, I've been leading worship for a long time and I got to a place where I was starting to struggle with, you know, whether or not I was leading people into worship or if I was just kind of up there doing a dance and picking the right songs to get the right response in the right way at the right time for maybe a, a church production or something like that. And I was just having that internal battle, uh, on Sundays and you probably would have never guessed, you know, I was going up there and, and, and doing what I needed to do. And I was trying to do it with a happy heart, but in the behind the scenes, you know, I was, I was going to the Lord with a lot of questions about, you know, what was really going on. And he brought me to a scripture in second Chronicles 20, where it's this story. I'm sure you've heard it before. And it's where God's people are. They're outnumbered and there's, there's a few armies coming to get them and they don't know what to do. And they inquire with the Lord, and the Lord says, listen, just go out there tomorrow. And he says, take your position, and and he's going to do the rest. Well, what happens is they send their basically their worship team out in the front lines. (laughs) And, you know, I've read this before. You know, you ever read a scripture more than once, and all of a sudden, something jumps out of you that it hasn't before. And I felt like something I never noticed was there wasn't a guarantee, as far as I can see in that passage, that. No one was going to lose their life. God said, listen, go show up and I'm going to take care of it for you. But at the end of the day, you know, those musicians and worship leaders had to go out on the front lines and, and maybe they weren't sure if they were coming back. And I felt like the Lord said to me, Jordan, I know you want to see life change. I know you want people to be moved, but that's my job. That's not your job. What I need you to do is be obedient to what I've called you to do. Go out there, take your position, move in, uh, in your anointing, and obey me, and let me do everything else. And so that title came from that season of me basically taking the stage on the platform on Sundays with the mentality that this will be the last time I ever get to do it. And
0: mm,
3: wow! And by God's grace, obviously, um, I get to do it more and more. But that was the mindset. You know, I felt like the Lord said to me, Jordan, what I want you to do is go up there and sing that song, those songs, lead those people as if you were in 2 Chronicles 20. I mean, can you just imagine what that song must have sounded like in that passage for those people in real life? And maybe, and I just went through it in my mind, you know, was there any musicians that didn't go? You know, because they were afraid, and I would have been afraid. And and what was it like for those people on the front line to experience and see? Because I talked about it in the book. So often when we're on the front lines with God, it turns into the front row to see what he's doing. Mm. And uh, that's really where it came from. It was a journey. It was a special one and I'm still on it, you know, but God is great, and, and uh, it's been awesome. And, and it, my, my goal was just to hopefully encourage people.
0: Jordan Abina here on The Intersection. His website address is Jordan Abina com. Well, this is The Intersection, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. The podcast is also available through the Media Center as well as iTunes. Two blogs are accessible one is The Three with Three Stories of Relevance to the Christian Community, and the other is The Front Room with Devotional Thoughts and Commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Just search for the Faith Radio podcast. David Eaton is president and co-founder of AXIS which provides information for parents about cultural trends, discussed material relative to the book he has co-authored entitled Engaging Your Teen's World, Understanding What Today's Youth Are Thinking, Doing, and Watching. From that conversation, this is David Eaton. How do you keep that conversation going, especially in a time where the, the student may not be in the house as much or may not be in the house at all?
4: Right. So here's what I'd say. We call this being a third way parent. So we had, a, I was talking to a mom and she said, whenever I come across something that freaks me out, that I'm fearful of, she says, I feel the tendency to either be silent or violent. And by violent she just means yell at her kid, right? I'm freaking out. I'm scared. So let's say, let's say this mom finds a jewel in her kid's backpack, which is a vaping device. Um, so
0: yeah. So Excuse me? Cigarette kind of oh, okay. Thank you. All right.
4: Yeah. So, so you find that and you're like, Oh my goodness, I just found this jewel in my kid's backpack. Are they going to become addicted to nicotine? Are is this going to, this is going to be bad for them. They're always on the stimulant. Are they, can they, are they vaping weed through this? I've heard about kids who, you know, have problems in their lungs because of this. And so again, so there's either an option where you say, you know what, I'm just going to ignore it. You know what, I'm tired of losing. Um, you know, I turned out all right. I made some bad decisions. Or the other option where it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to, go crazy on my kid and so silent or violent uh, the third way parent is the parent who's confident it's a, and we call it the parent who engages now the challenge with this is like how do you know what a jewel is how do you know what vaping is how do you know what's bad or not with it and that's where the book comes in and that's where access comes in is we have resources on hundreds of topics that are facing the rising generation to give you confidence and I mean wouldn't it just feel amazing to have that confidence and I'll say this too Bob I think one of the best things is for um, is for you think about it in a four step process for these conversations that you have with your kid. The first one is just being aware: is this an emergency or not? Right, your kid your kid loves to play Fortnite. Is that an emergency? No, it's not. Okay, but maybe they're playing it eight hours a day. Maybe they're playing instead of doing their homework. Well, that kind of ups the ante a little bit. Um, and I would say one thing you got to do for the parents who are out there: you got to practice your I'm not shocked face. And hmm. what I mean by this is you're going to hear something like I saw two boys kissing in school today and you might freak out or you're, you might hear like, as I was talking to another dad the other day, his son was on this trip with the baseball team, his 13 year old son. His son's not even interested in girls yet. Right. Um, I mean, he's just, he hasn't showed interest. And then all of a sudden this baseball trip on the bus, some kids showed him a ton of pornography on his smartphone. And so he just went from like knowing very little and not being super interested yet not even really hitting puberty it's like seeing everything that's out there. And that's just because of the smartphone that was on a, on a high school bus. So again, the first one, again, you're going to hear things and you're going to be the tendency is going to be to respond or react. And I would say, take a walk, take a deep breath and then regroup. So the first one is measuring that step two is to remember what it felt like to be them. Remember what it feels like to 15 year olds and like fighting your parents or full of hormones. So step one is be aware if it's an emergency or not. Step two is to have that, that empathy. And the third one is to realize you don't have to solve this immediately. Ask questions, be warm, be in their corner. And one of the things you can definitely do is ask them questions that are impersonal. So don't ask them, have you looked at someone shown you porn before and what's going on? You know, has someone sent you a sex before? But you can say instead, do kids do sexting at your school? You know, and again, if you're asking about their friends, they might be more open to that. And the fourth step is to continue. Remember, you, you're going to have a 60-year conversation. You don't have to solve everything in the moment. Regroup with your spouse. If you're, if you're not married, find some other people in your life that you can talk to about. But again, the tendency is going to be that fight or flight, that's violence or silence. Take a moment, get confident, and then engage with them.
0: David Eaton here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to access.org. Front slash radio. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Shannon Popkin, author of the book Comparison Girl Lessons from Jesus on Me Free Living in a Measure Up World. In our conversation, she offered a biblical approach to dealing with comparison and focusing on humility and service. Here now is Shannon Popkin.
5: You know, the book is really focused on how Jesus responded to actual people who were comparing in the Bible. And Jesus encountered lots of people who were Mm -hmm. dealing with pride. And so, you know, the Pharisees were always looking down on everybody, thinking they were better than themselves. And they were the ones who received those sternest warnings from Jesus. He was uh, always calling them to consider their pride. And then always inviting, even the Pharisees, you know, turn, like come and, and listen to how things are in the kingdom. And Jesus told parable after parable after parable of uh, these stories where there were two characters or three characters in the story. And the great person, the one that is being elevated in the story is the one who humbles herself or himself in the story, you know, so like think of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, it's not the one who's elevating himself. Like, oh, this person on the side of the road is so beneath me. No, it's the the Samaritan who is actually the outcast in the story. According, you know, the Jews considered the Samaritan as outcast, but he is the one who's lifted up. The great example in the story because he humbles himself, and of course, Jesus, with his own life, you know, uh, mm. offered himself as a beautiful example of of what greatness looks like in the kingdom. It's not elevating yourself. It's not proving you're better than others. It's not, um, you know, trying to outdo or get ahead of somebody. It's, it's lowering yourself. It's humbling yourself. And then, and, you know, Bob, the beautiful thing about this, when we choose Jesus's way of humility, it frees us from comparison. So if you want to break free from this bondage, like maybe you're just so sick of, you're jealous of someone and you're just so tired of it, or you're, so tired of feeling like down because you haven't produced as much as you wanted to or whatever it is. If you want to be free of that, Jesus invites you like come be part of this kingdom where we are all humbling ourselves and we're, we're taking whatever we have and using it to serve others and lift others up. You know, if you, if you're, if you're trying to bend down to serve somebody, you're not trying to prove that you're above them anymore. Or when you're putting somebody else first, you're not trying to get ahead of them. So these these practices of humility and humbling ourselves, this is what frees us from the bondage of this measure-up world that we live in.
0: You are listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio, the author of the Bible study Comparison Girl Lessons from Jesus on Me, Free Living in a Measure-Up World. Shannon Popkin joining us today here on the program. And I want, if you would, to share with us about this analogy that you've included in this Bible study book. It's living by the lines versus living by the spout. So take us through this this image here, if you would.
5: Yes, absolutely. So if you can just picture one of those glass measuring cups with the lines on the side, you know, the Pyrex kind. And, and what your enemy wants for you to do is to take your measuring cup and put it next to somebody else's. And always be asking, how do I measure up? You know, how do I prove that I have more in my cup? And, you know, I call that living by the lines. We're always focused on the lines and looking at how much is in our cup versus how much is in somebody else's cup. But again, like we've been talking, this just leads us to so much bondage, either the bondage of inferiority or the bondage of superiority. And Jesus would turn our attention to the spout on our measuring Mm -hmm. cup, you know, he says, he says, you were not given your, um, your gifts and your aptitudes and your resources. You were not given those things to prove that you measure against someone else. Like that is not wise. Paul says, those who measure against uh, one another are not wise. That's the wisdom of this world. But Jesus calls us to this upside down wisdom and he turns our attention to the spout and he says, Hey, come follow me, come live life the way that I live. And Philippians two tells us that Jesus did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, you know, equality, that's a measuring word, but, but instead he humbled himself. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant and he completely poured his life out on, on the cross. And so this is what Jesus calls us to. And the really cool thing about that analogy is if you picture, you know, your eyes on the spout, well, they're not on the lines anymore and you picture yourself tipping that measuring cup to pour it out, well, when you're pouring, you're not measuring. Shannon
0: Popkin here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website ComparisonGirl.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Jamie Amarine She discussed her book, Well, Girl, an Inside Out Journey to Wellness, emphasizing identity in Christ and his sufficiency. Here now from that conversation is Jamie Amerine.
6: we come. In The world, you know, completely oblivious to a sliding scale or um, a measurement of of any kind. And at some point in our journey here on Earth, there's that first time that you see that there's a comparative. You know, whether it's later and you realize there's A, B, C, D, E, and F in school, or someone's faster, or you're a slower learner, or he's taller and she's shorter, and but you all of a sudden come into the cognition of there's a difference. And we all, I think God instills in us a a desire to move forward and to succeed and to do well. But I think the stumbling block is he creates those things in us, not to stump us or ruin us or destroy us, but to motivate us. And we, in turn, look to the right and look to the left and wonder why we're not here or there and I propose that the entirety of feeling enough is believing that you're enough because you're looking up. And when you're looking up at someone that fully loves you, there's, there's no question that he loves you, which is another thing. You know, we even do that within the church. Well, she's so spiritual. She's so wise. He knows so much. He's so in touch with the Lord. You know, he has this and I don't. I'm trying to get there. I hear that. I mean, if I get an email once a week, it's, I'm trying. I just don't get it. Um, but it's, it's within the comparative that we're not enough. In his eyes, we're more than enough, willing to die for us enough. But it's here that we have to work in the physical reality of pants size and, you know, um, how someone else is succeeding and we're not. And those things make it harder to just be focused on the spiritual. Um, but I propose... And I've experienced this when our focus is on him and um, being grateful for that love, speaking the truth of that love, changing our mind um, through speaking those truths. You know, I say I'm in the mirror because then the subconscious sees me and hears me and knows it's me and goes, oh, this is important to her. This is relevant to her. We see more of that. We believe more of that. And and there's a study out recently, um, and I found this so interesting because our son that's a Marine, every time we pointed a camera at him his entire life, he did the Superman pose. I have pictures of him in front of a camel doing the Superman pose. He had this confidence about himself, even though he was maybe just playing because pretty sure he knew he wasn't Superman. He was dyslexic and he struggled, but he always did this pose, And, um, that turns into something that turns into a belief. And how did we come to our belief in Jesus dying on the cross and rising again? We said it, we saw it in images that we weren't there to experience it, but we've said it enough and we've, you know, visualized that enough and lived in that enough. We're hard pressed to be talked out of that. That's our truth, right? But When we're not focused on the truth of who we are and we're sad focused on what we are not based on someone to our right or left, then that's where we stay. And the subconscious is quick to remind us, you're not Superman. You can't walk on water. Why would you want to move that mountain? you can just go around it? And it's constantly giving us things to keep us in our reality. But we really and truly as believers operate, at least a percentage of us, our brain operates in the nonsensical. It makes no sense to believe in someone being murdered and raising being risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. But we believe that, right? Mm-hmm. So as long as we're speaking, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I don't get it, I don't get it. I always fail. I'm gross. I'm too fat. I'm too tall. My hair's frizzy. As long as we're speaking those things, what are we believing and as a man thinketh?
0: so he is. Jamie Amarine here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website sacredgroundstickyfloors.com. Well, I am wrapping up this edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in that media center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible from the Meeting House homepage. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page and there's a link to video content. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. Just search for the Faith Radio Podcast. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.